When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Voice Hacks podcast. It's me, your host, vocal coach, Mary Z. And I'm here with Sean Z, vocalist of Doth. We have two Zs in the house today. And I'm really excited to talk to him because Doth is in the middle of a major comeback. And it's really excited to get to sit down and talk to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, actually. Uh, thanks for having me on. I've uh, been quite busy, just all the vocal stuff. And got back from Sweden not too long ago, a few weeks back. And we got to actually watch the album be mixed in real time. Oh, really? So you guys were out in Sweden recording, and who were you recording with over there? Well, we didn't record there. We did multiple recordings. I actually went to Florida to uh, Andrew Wade to have the vocals done. Oh, cool. Then he had done a lot of the stuff himself, I guess, uh, with our guy John. Then Krim had done his drum separately, and you know the keys were done separately in bass. But then we got it all together. We went to Jens Bogren at Fascination Street Studios, and he was able to kind of tie all the mix together and, you know, made suggestions on things as he was mixing, which was really, really cool. So, you know, some parts got changed or got cut. or Oh, so that's cool. Like, I'm so used to you leave and then the guy's doing the mix and you're kind of communicating back and forth over the Internet, which is has its ups and downs. So was that a much better experience being there with the mix being uh, made in real time? It's weird being there uh, in real time. I can't say that I've actually really ever been there for most mixes. You know, anything you do, you exactly, you send it off. They send you a couple of samples and then you kind of make your mix notes and send back. And then, you know, you have that relationship until you get the final mix. But yeah, I think that, that may have been the first time I sat in on an actual mix. So, you know, he would make, he'd have his own time. We'd leave him alone. Then we'd come to the room and he'd be like, what do you think? And then we would make our suggestions. He'd make a bounce. We'd listen, make more suggestions and then back and forth until we were like, that's good, man. Sounds great. Now, you mentioned something really interesting where you said some parts you ended up taking out. Um, you ended up changing mm -hmm. some things while you were there in the mix. Um, is that because you decided that it was you have a lot <laughs> you have a lot going on in this new Doth stuff, which is actually sounding amazing and incredible. I've had the lucky chance to preview some of it. There's certainly a lot going on. I mean, it's got to be hard to find the balance with all that, right? You know, I think one of the tracks had something like 230 actual like tracks themselves like one of the songs had 230 or 40 song tracks and uh you know getting that to balance is 
thank God it wasn't my job to do because to get it sounding the way that he did must have been a ton of work. But yeah, I mean, we did cut some parts out. You know, there was a part where it felt too long. So we may have like trimmed two parts and brought it together and kind of made it seem seamless. So it didn't even, you wouldn't even notice that it was even not there. So on this new Doth material, are you only doing harsh vocals? Are you doing any clean vocals? What's the vocal landscape look like? I mean, I, I pretty much went to just about every style except doing clean. I did some pitch stuff as I usually do. And you can hear that in the first single we'll release, No Rest, No End. The chorus, you know, there was a lot of like, <laughs> you know, a lot of that kind of like screaming in pitch, but dialing back the grit a little bit. I've been doing it for so many years now. I've kind of developed many different styles and, you know, depending on the project, whatever it calls for, I usually switch to that style. So this kind of uh, allowed me the opportunity to do all of those styles to some degree. And then it's interesting to come back 12 years later and hear how much my voice has improved and changed and gotten deeper and clear. So I was able to really belt out some of those death metal vocals and they are just crisp nice that's so cool well yeah from what i've heard it sounds phenomenal you know no, thanks i appreciate it yeah so i mean it's really exciting and how was it you know because you know i always feel the same like people should improve after 12 years like you should be better right of course there's always that nerve-wracking thing too about getting back into it but it sounds like if you improve that you didn't really take time off of vocals you must have been working on your vocals in the interim with other projects well of course yeah i mean after doth ended i went to chimera and i did chimera for years yep and i was the backing vocalist and keyboard player so I really kind of got to just do whatever I wanted and be silly and have a good time on stage. It allowed me to kind of open up and do more things that I wouldn't or, you know, brought me out of my comfort zone, which was key. And then, you know, obviously after that, Sensanum kind of happened and we've done you know, almost three records just with Sensanum. And that band predominantly focuses on the death metal and black metal side of things. So I do some screams, some fries, but, you know, traditionally I kind of keep it in that. Uh, death black realm so that obviously I, I had been working on a lot so yeah when we went to wade you know it was i was like hey try this try this try this try this it's just no problem kind of just on the fly like yeah I, yeah of course it's that's a style i do yeah no problem that's sick i mean that's gotta be fun for an engineer too to have a vocalist like you in there who like when they say try this try that like you actually can do it it's pretty cool you can paint quite a cool soundscape so your approach to vocals do you have any sort of like practicing that you do um how are you kind of working on your vocals like how are you making them better is it just through just like raw stage repetition just through raw album recordings do you have anything like intentionally that you're doing no i mean i don't drink any longer it's been almost you know five years since i i touched alcohol so i find that that makes a huge difference I obviously don't smoke either, so that also makes a difference. It depends on what type of performing I'm going to be doing, if it's just some studio stuff. I mean, I literally sit here and have recorded most of my vocals sitting down. Wow. But I do out really loud. It's just I've kind of got this method and this routine of sitting here, being able to kind of do everything myself uh, without needing to get up or have an engineer to do something. Um, so being able to rely on my own... I guess my own methods has really allowed me to, I don't know, improve upon my vocals. I don't do any warm-ups anymore. I guess before I really kind of got into the business, I was doing a lot of warm-ups and, you know, I was being very careful. But 
once you're on the road a lot, sometimes I find the warm-ups after so many weeks on the road actually are doing more damage than they're helping mm. because you're like putting that strain on the voice. And I'm not really doing a lot of singing to where I need to do the warm-up. Um, so I literally, you know, like, <clears throat> and then I go for it. You know, that's pretty much it. Sure. It, it really depends on what you drink and what you eat. Obviously, as we all know, vocal health is important, but I think just doing many, many, many projects. I think at one point I was in like 15 bands. So, you know, once... uh the Sensanum tour kind of ended and Doth Chimera was all done. I was like, man, I need to find something to fill this void. So I started doing covers of stuff and uh, people would ask me to do tracks for them. And I just take anything I could get just to keep the, you know, keep the style going and changing it up and practicing. So I guess practice, 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 but no warm ups. Having the correct gear makes a huge difference, I've noticed. Really? And what specifically do you mean by the correct gear? You're talking about microphones, interface, headphones? Yeah, finding what is you, finding what sounds like you, especially headphones. I have to say, just recently I got these headphones. These are the Sennheiser HD Pro 400s, 450s, something like that. They are a one-to-one sound. So basically it sounds exactly as it does going into the DAW. And I've had some headphones where they don't sound that way, and so you sound different. And then like even doing harmonics or, or harmonies, I'm sorry, and uh, singing, you know, I'd come to the DAW and I'd listen. I'd be like, God, that's completely out of tune. What the, what the hell? And I found that it was actually just the headphones I was using that weren't giving me the accurate representation of how wow, I truly sounded. Okay. And then the mic too, you got to find what is your sound. You got to find your voice. I was using an SM7 for a long time and not to dog it, but it's just like, I'm so over that microphone because everybody uses that mic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I needed to really branch out and find something that was more me and these condensers that I've uh, come upon. I mean, they're hot and they're sensitive, but man, the stuff that comes out of these condensers, it's clear. So you mean, you, there's not a lot to hide behind. <laughs> yeah, but I think for harsh vocals, condenser mic can be surprisingly helpful because one of the things I've noticed about the dynamic mics is I feel like when you do the harsh vocal, when you do the screams, like there's so much that the condenser is going to pick up that's coming out of your mouth as far as like the distortion. And sometimes you do it into dynamic mic and you feel like you just did this huge scream and you're like, where did it all go? Like, <laughs> you know, so I, I actually can see that. I, I've experienced that. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. We did this particular record and, uh, or this EP or whatever to see singles. And I specifically said, I was like, I don't want to use an SM7. He just like grabbed it. was like, all right, I'll just put that in the drawer. Like he was ready to, ready to use it. And I was like, I don't want to. What what condenser are you using now at home? This is the uh, Jay-Z mics. I believe it's the V67 Vintage. So it's a really, really, really nice mic. I mean, it, it has a very nice warmth to it. I don't know. It also picks up a lot. And when you were with Andrew recording for the new Doth material, did you use a one specific type of condenser mic or did he have many that he, different ones that he had? He just had one. I don't remember what it was, unfortunately. Uh, it may have been a Neumann or something, but it was basically just a, a standard condenser. Yeah. And just what it picks up is just, again, it's just, you know, if you have the enunciation and you're clear with what you say, sometimes using those mics uh, really can benefit you. But if you kind of blur in and slur in, like I like to say, uh, the dynamic microphone is probably more for you. Yeah. And I think it depends, too, again, on like the person's um, physical timbre. Yeah. You know, if the mic is brighter, but everything they do is already bright, that might apply more to clean singing, but it could apply to like high screams. Maybe the, I could see times where the condenser could be like, all right, maybe we don't want the whistle fries in here, you know, where you would revert to that. But I, I understand that. I've heard that and I, I myself and I feel that way sometimes, too. So. so you've been doing most of your recordings, vocal 
recordings at home, but then you went to Andrew. So were there things about recording with an engineer? Did he kind of push you a little further than you had gone? Is there anything that was uh, different and or beneficial about working with someone else after so long? Well, yeah. I mean, again, you know, seeing it from a different set of eyes and ears, he was able to take some of the demo stuff I did and we went through lyrics even and we're like, what does this even mean? You know, why is this here? What is this point that you're trying to make with every song? So I think that was also very cool and very key into creating what we created. But then also he's, you know, worked with some of the best and you know, I trust the guy and he'd say, Hey, try this instead. And you know, you kind of have to just put all egos aside and just say, sure, man, I trust you and not really be like, no, I really stand behind this. I mean, unless it's something you really do, but I think at some point you kind of just give it up to the producer and just say, just do what you feel would sound best. Um, and I, I remember early on, I had issues with that. You know, because I'd be like, I don't like what I did. <laughs> Not in uh, any signed bands, but like, you know, early local band days, we would do recording. And, you know, I'd get all, all hurt over not having my parts kept. But then, you know, you realize you're like, oh man, this guy, this guy really has what it takes. You know, he knows what's up. So I think uh, it, it was, it was refreshing to, you know, have him give me new ideas and see choruses differently than I did. I think that's cool. I think that that helps, you know, it, to have a, an outside perspective because you know it's an audience that's going to listen to it and ideally you go to a producer that is in the vein you know obviously that you like that that is in the style and part that's part of the trust is because you already know where their work goes and what what it sounds like you don't pick a random pop producer you know what i mean um so they someone who knows what your art is going to be yeah exactly exactly how long were you there working with him? Uh, with him, it was just three days. It was basically one song per day. I mean, we would spend half of the day just kind of fixing lyrics and trying to figure out what stuff meant and what words were cooler to use. Or, you know, I think that that's an important thing, you know, also having that help, you know, because I am in a, a lot of projects and I don't want to ever repeat myself. So it's nice to have somebody kind of take an outside stab at it and be like, hey, uh, how about you try this? And then I'd be like, well, I have a song that's already about that. So, you know, there would be those I'd try to walk on eggshells with. Yeah, it only, it only took three days to do it, one song per day. I mean, normally, obviously, you, you cram a lot more in when you're doing an actual record. But I kind of have gotten away from doing that because you find that the beginning of the songs are really good. And then some of the end are just like, you're done. You've been, you know, this is day three. This is the 12th song of repeatedly screaming the same thing over and over again. So I like to have a lot more time on my hands. Like one song a day is great honestly. And are you spacing out your tracking time or are you like smashing it all together? Or do you take breaks? Do you take your time? No, when we got in there and it was time to do vocals, you know, we, we'd get in there at 11 and we'd probably start doing vocals by two. You know, we'd take lunch, we'd kind of stick around a bit, you know, we'd uh, talk, lo you know, vocals, we'd talk lyrics, we'd listen to the songs, you know, uh, I got an idea here, I got an idea there, what do you think? Like, you know, a lot of back and forth and then it's like, all right, well, let's get this on uh, paper. So head on in. And we'd work till five or six. So it'd be about four or five hours straight of just doing vocals and then just come back, you know, reset and come back the next day. And then obviously what you do when you go to bed is also very key to having a good <laughs> vocal rest, you know, coming back the next day refreshed and not eating like crap. 
trying to sleep the best that I can. So that's really the most important thing. But just one day after the next, it wasn't wasn't many breaks. I mean, you know, you're talking about you don't have a very like strict technical approach, but you do are you are being specific. Like there's no it's always tell everybody it's like it's not magic. You know, you live a healthy lifestyle. You're trying to get sleep. There's a lot, Mm. you know, going into it still. You know what I mean? You can't just be like, ah, smoke and drink however much I want and I don't have any consequences. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So were the instrumentals completed? Was everything done? Was it still in a construction phase when you started recording vocals? How has the writing process been for Doth this time around with the vocals? Well, it was definitely different. I mean, it was always the same, I guess, in, in some sense. You know, you're like, you're not screaming over drums. He had done basic cutouts, you know, and outlines of here's the guitars, here's the, you know, verse and vocals. Here's what he thought things would go, or, you know, he'd lay down MIDI markers, and then I'd be able to just drop it into my DAW, and then I'd easily be able to see what he was expecting of me and what he wanted me to do. And I guess it, it was a lot easier this time just because we had that set up. You know, it was it's always been different in the past where, you know, we wouldn't have MIDI markers even laid out, you know, so I would just kind of do my own thing. Yeah. And then I would figure out where I'm going to put vocals and, you know, just kind of freestyle. And then we'd go back and then we come back and then we go back. This way it was a lot easier just because I think the technology is there these days to where everybody kind of has a tool and everybody kind of has a piece to play. He got me some some really good gear just through some of his his hookups. So having Studio One running and also having this inbox, this pre-sonus inbox that I have made things tremendously easier. And then obviously the Howard Benson vocal plug-in, not to like give any cheap... Oh, no, I'm obsessed. No, <laughs> I love that. I can't not use it. Yeah, it's the best. I truly agree. I mean, it like it's changed the game uh, 100%. Like, I just dial up one preset and, you know, it works. It's unreal. Yeah, especially those of us who remember like recording technology and plugins like from a little bit earlier in time (laughs) it's pretty phenomenal i practice through a DAW with a band that i play with and i'm and i always have howard benson and then when i rigged up the in-ear rig i was like i can't not have howard benson lives or the tracks rig so i was like running multiple ins and outs so that i could run howard benson vocals live because i was like so obsessed with it because i i just had to have it so yeah (laughs) but then um i stopped doing that because it was kind of like a complicated setup but i did it for a while i was pretty insistent on it but it's hard to live without once you have it it's a little bit like crack so but yeah so when you're getting your lyrics together are you the type of person that keeps like a log of ideas or are you do you just do things on the fly or are you like a mike Patton where the words don't have meaning to you and you just make syllables uh what is your approach as far as the lyrics go as far as lyrics go i kind of just do them on the fly I, I listen to the music and whatever kind of vibe i get and then i just dive right in and usually it comes pretty quickly and then from there i kind of refine the lyrics and try to make them make sense or you know try to write about a theme you know you start writing after you hear the instrumental correct yeah yeah i've done it the other way and i find that it's tough sometimes to squeeze words in so what i'll do and i, I usually do this with everything that i've done is i'll listen to i, I don't want to hear the track ever like i never want to hear it ever then i want to do it live to where it's like okay let me just get a fresh feel let me get you know the atmosphere let me just feel the vibe then i put everything together and uh, you know i'll sit here and listen to the track and i'll just write like just typing and i was like okay that's a good part like i already hear the the verses i already hear the choruses in my head and it's just kind of putting the piece of the puzzle but then yeah obviously as we go down the line you kind of start listening to it and you're like oh i hate that 
And, and a lot of it, I think, is more patterns and cadences than anything else. Then at that point, then I kind of fill in the blanks and put words to paper and try to make it make more sense than, you know, whatever I was saying at the time <laughs> it came to my head randomly. Yeah. But yeah, I, again, I've done it the other way before. And I guess it depends on the project itself. You know, like it's insane. for instance, everybody kind of has a hand in writing because they're all in, you know, black metal, death metal bands, and they all kind of have their own idea of what's cool and what's not. So we all kind of write a little bit, which is nice. It's a super group. It's meant to kind of be everybody all hands on deck kind of thing. And then, you know, the, the thing I do with Vented, that's like, I basically just do whatever the hell I want to do. And it's great. And I could be myself. Whatever I say is what I want to say. And I, I kind of like that. It's refreshing. Um, and then, you know, obviously, Doth is we want it to be not cliche. We want it to be good. We want it to kind of have a similar theme to things that we've sang about in the past. Mm. So they all have their own specific, you know, writing mechanism, I, I would say. And this one particular was, you know, as I explained, it's more like off the cuff and then trying to fill in the blanks. And then AL and I were even like, you know, look at this sentence. Like, does this make sense? Like, what are you mm. trying to say in the song? But we broke it down to even that minute. I think that's important, though, because I'm teaching lessons. I'm teaching songs all the time because I don't really pay attention to words unless I do that or unless I have to sing the song for some reason. And sometimes yeah. you're reading lyrics and you're like, what does that even mean? You know, <laughs> like I have those moments all the time. So I think that's important to make sure that the message you intended to get across, if you intend to get across one, because like I mentioned, there's your Mike Patton's who say that the words don't mean much to him, but you know, you do want to make sure that your message is coming across clearly if there is one. Yeah. Like, well, you know, what's, what's this chorus about, you know, why am I singing this chorus? How does this pertain to the rest of the song? And I think sometimes that that can be tough, you know, just because it's like reading poetry. You're like, I don't know what the poem means, <laughs> you know, it's kind of that thing, but I mean, you have an idea of where you're trying to go with it vocally or lyrically, but you know, sometimes it doesn't transcend into paper. And I use a lot of big words, just my vocabulary is awfully broad at times. So sometimes the words do make sense that I use. And sometimes I'm like, what was I that that, the, that word doesn't mean what I thought it meant. Right. Why am I saying that? So I do sometimes find that I run into that. And then you get out the th th thesaurus. I couldn't I couldn't even say the that. Thesaurus. Like oh, the, come on. That's thesaurus. like, you know, that's every every song I've ever written. I think there's always a thesaurus. Uh, it's hard to say. A thesaurus. Yeah, it's so hard to say. But right. It, it, yeah, because it's like, you know the word, but you're like, ah, oh, there's got to be other words for that thing. Or I already used that word 10 times. You know, it's really tough. Yeah. Do you find that as a person who does primarily aggressive vocals, harsh vocals, and I'm using that as like a very all encompassing term, you know, for like a whole bunch of different screams that you do. Do you find that articulation is important to you when you're out there live, when you actually have to take this to the stage? Are you going to be really trying to enunciate or do you not, or do you care more about the text? and the tone of your screams? No, I'm one of those that I like the live performance to be like basically exactly as it sounds on the record, especially as I've gotten older. I pretty much stay sober 99.9% .9 of the time. You know, I may hit a little weed here and there, but I won't drink. I never play, you know, high or dry. You know, I never do anything like that. So I like to give an accurate representation of how it should sound. Like I want to sound fucking badass every time you hear me live, no matter what. I don't know. I think the enunciation really makes a huge difference in that. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, I have a funny story. My mom came to see me in London. Wow. Yeah. And we, we it was with Sinsanum. And I, we have a song called Inverted Cross. And my mom is very, I was raised kind of, you know, on the, the more conservative side of uh, religion, Catholic and whatnot. And she came to see me and it was hilarious. 
when she stood in the crowd, that was probably one of the only times in my entire career I like couldn't say <laughs> all of the words because she was looking right at me. It was just some like just thing over my head. Like, and I love my mom and whatever. I mean, you know, she she's cool with it, but it's just weird when she's just like, there she is right there, you know. Like, oh yeah, oh. it's I completely understand. I I <laughs> I grew up Catholic as well. I feel like most of us metal people went to Catholic school. <laughs> something you know no of course i did i went to catholic school yeah absolutely so how did we end up here you know the moral of the story is i like to sound almost like i do on the record i enunciate everything i guess it's just the way that i speak i just articulate my words very well and i've learned my scream that way so it's actually hard for me to not enunciate it's very difficult for me to like slur a word sometimes i know that like i'll curve an o or I'll say something weird and H's. I have sometimes an issue with H's mm. as the starting mm -hmm. scream, you know, like, oh, you know, I'll do like an O instead of an yes. H, you know, like a ha, I'll do a ha, you know, because it's just cheating. But I, I would say most of the time I, I usually just try to sound as you can hear absolutely everything I'm saying no matter where I am. That's awesome. Well, the H thing is definitely a universal vocalist problem because H is a voiceless consonant. The folds are open and you just blow out all your air. Yes. <laughs> so if we're like, hey, like we're just screwed. <laughs> yeah. Hey. And if you have to do scream, you know, it's really going to, it's going to be, it, yeah, it's much better to start with like a glottal <laughs> vowel or something uh, that's going to not blow all your air out for the full first word. Or like in the middle of a phrase and you're dying to get through it, it if there's a really big H in there, it can be your death sentence. It can dig your grave. No, I mean, honestly, yeah. I, I guess it depends on the style that I'm doing as well, because the fry is obviously a lot easier to cheat, so to speak. You know, like I can you know, half-ass it. Whereas the death metal, like it comes from, my particular death metal comes from like the bottom of my soul. So, you know, I can, I can do a death metal scream and like, you'd be able to hear it across the parking lot. Like just me doing like a, yeah. like so a really big. loud, mm -hmm. you know, it just comes from here. So sometimes it's harder to hit those H's because it's like, yes, <sighs> you know, there's a lot of, lot of breath that comes behind it and it's easy to, you know, I guess, uh, fuck up. What you're doing, like, from my vocal teacher ears is, you know, the fry is closing the vocal folds. The one you just did there that you call your death. Because, like, as the user, you don't have touch nerve endings in the vocal folds. So to you, it's yeah, just going to be like, yeah, this yeah. is my growl or whatever. But uh, your folds are open for that sound. And that's why. So think about how much harder it is not to release all your air. In the fry, you've got sort of, like, cracking the soda open. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're like, uh, uh, I can hold yes, that yes. ever and ever and ever and just keep rolling and circulating air. And then like, uh, you know, sometimes I'll even do the death metal where it's like, uh, and I'll try to like go to that because I know I'm running out of mm -hmm. air. So I try to like switch gears and just. That <laughs> is very, very <laughs> difficult to do. I very, even the people that I hear do both styles, I very rarely hear people do it because that's really tough to do to go from the open chords to the closed chords like that. But you know, you know who does yeah. it? And I never, ever knew it until I was teaching one of their songs. And so it's like 15 years later, I'm realizing it. Howard Jones, you know, I was teaching some old Kill, Kill Switch songs and I could hear him doing that. And that's very unusual. So if you can do that, that's really skilled that's really cool that's usually i usually do it at the end of a verse or like a long held out death metal scream where sometimes i lose steam because it does take so much breath so i like sense myself running out of air 
and then I do the switch, you know? So it's like, oh, and then keep going and then like just ramp it to the next. And I could go another like 30 seconds, you know, <laughs> I'm completely out of it. You just literally went from opening your folds to shutting them. And we use all the same tissues and air turbulence. So just like keeping the same thing only went to compress folds. And that's definitely amazing because you, you just through your own subconscious, you're able to feel, okay, like my breath pressure is easier to hold in this situation. Cause I'm, you know, I wish we could literally be like, I'm going to close my folds and I'm going to open my phone. <laughs> yeah. It's not that easy. It's almost like switching gears though. It's weird. It's like, you can't slam the car into second gear. You have to almost like come out of that death metal, like, oh, or you're like right there. And your voice is like almost closing. And then, oh, and then you can kind of pick it back up and hit the next gear. But you can't go from like, oh, I just see it. It doesn't. <laughs> That's why so few people do it. Most of the people that I know that do both and they'll do like a sentence in the false court and a sentence in the fry. Uh, or at least one breath yeah. in between, like separate it by a breath. But yeah, like you said, it's very hard to like immediately go from one. And again, it's just the weird positioning of the folds. They just don't like to do that. So yeah, and you're just, you're basically just catching the fold right when it's like about to close because you're like, oh, and you're like yes. kind of bringing your voice down. And then as it's there, it's easy to be like, oh. <laughs> but that's dope that's great and i think that's a good way i think it's going to help a lot of people listening um maybe work on how to do that you know kind of conceptualize how to do that yeah, yeah. cool yeah awesome so for tour i mean you guys plan on taking this on the road of course yeah of course yeah i mean and it just really depends on the availability of like let's say Krim or let's say jesse the idea would be to take a couple of tours a year you know we all have things going on we all have multiple projects the bands you all Krim and Jesse Zaretti. Yeah, exactly. And uh, those are the people who would basically go on the, the ticket as uh, they are in the band. AL and I are technically just the band. So if we need to hire people to play a tour or something, because like, let's say Krim can, let's see it and conflicts with Jesse's schedule or whatever. I mean, that's fine. As long as the main core is there. I mean, obviously, we'd love to have everybody, but there could be a potential time when maybe like we try to do something and Septic Flesh is also doing something. So, But I consider those guys officially members even across the board members of the band that's so cool so when you you know we've been talking a lot about the studio approach but live on tour you already said you don't you don't warm up anymore but is there any other sort of routine do, do you follow like you know we've got people out there like matt hafey being like 3 p.m i eat this and 2 p.m i do jujitsu like 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 you know? Well, yeah, well, that, that's actually, yeah, that actually is what I do. Like, I can't eat before a certain period of time, uh, or I'm sorry, after a certain period of time. Like, the show is at, I don't know, let's say we're playing at nine o'clock. Like, I have to be done eating food by five o'clock. Like, I need at least four hours of digestion. You know, I sometimes suffer that, you know, that anxiety, you know, going on stage, but I use that as fuel. And it's funny, I was just having this conversation with someone about, how like Jonathan Davis, like, you know, I remember watching something on him and like every time before he goes out, he basically almost throws up every time. And, you know, I, I have that a lot. And it's interesting that as long as I don't consume anything before I go on stage, I never throw up. But if I even drink water before I go on stage and let it like digest, it'll come back up. So I have to like gargle water and spit it out. I can't actually physically swallow any water. Cause it's just, you know, your stomach is like kind of clenching up and something about the cold water going down just doesn't work. You know, there have been moments when I don't have that, which I don't like, cause I kind of like to have that edge and using it 
it's a motivator for sure. It gives me the energy. It gives me the the spark that I need. And it, it happens just about every single time to me. So I have to be very careful about not eating the wrong foods. Obviously, no like heavy tomato sauce, you know, before I go on or anything like that. As far as vocal warm-ups, I, again, I, I did, you know, I, I did the Melissa Cross thing forever. And I that's how I kind of got started. And I even went to her, like physically, I went to her for the first Doth record. They sent me to her studio and you know, I got to spend the night there. And, you know, I think my biggest problem was there was things I didn't understand because it's hard to pick up from an audio CD that she was able to help me with. But I would still keep small variations of those warmups that I still will do. And those are the Z's. And those are the ones I'll do more than anything. And I'll make sure to really, zzz, you know, I'll go up and down the scale a few times with some Z's, but it's not an every night thing. It's just when I feel my voice is stressing or I have a lot of phlegm or something I want to get out. I'll usually do that to kind of just knock whatever is off the vocal cords. But sleep is the most important. I mean, sleep is, if you just sleep, you know, you take care of your voice. You know, it's not like the thing that kills me is, you know, everyone's like, hey, man, let's go to the metal bar after the show. I'm like, didn't we just play? <laughs> we the were metal the bar? metal bar. <laughs> I mean, why are we going to another metal bar? It's like, you know, and I get I get hanging out or whatever, but, you know, the problem with going to something like that, especially when you're on a tour with no days off, if you care about your voice, you can't whisper and you can't talk loud and you're going to immediately lose your voice. And I also noticed that if I smoke, smoke like a little bit of weed at all, I'm done. Like it, it kills me for three or four days. I can't smoke, have any smoke go in my voice. So it's like I've just taken this sober approach of um, in order to sound your best don't drink before you go on. You know, I don't, I don't do this, but I was just having this discussion with a buddy who's in a local band and he says he's in some country band and I don't know, you know, he did whatever the drug is. We don't have to go there. The guy was doing it basically before every show. And I'm like, what he's doing is he's creating this muscle memory where he won't be able to perform without mm. that drug. So even if that's cigarettes, even if that's booze, if it's wheat, whatever, whatever your drug of choice is, if you do it every time before you go on, you'll never be able to do it without it. And that is a scary thought. So I think the best medicine is to use that anxiety, try to stay as sober as possible. And drinking is the worst because you push. It feels good. You're, you're kind of buzzed or you're drunk. You're like, I'm going to push so hard. Oh, yeah. It feels so good. And then after the show, you're like, man, my voice is fried. So yeah, I, I guess I just avoid all of that and I sleep well. That's it. I, I try to eat well, practice vocal rest. You know, I don't go out to the bars. I, I don't uh, I don't whisper. There is that moment in the middle of the tour where you do feel the stress because let's say it's three weeks with one day off. You know, sometimes I'll like sit in my bunk or something. And I'll just be like, <clears throat> like, okay, so I still have a voice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like you're just checking. Like I have nightmares of like. You know, just it not being there when I'm like, right? Oh, I know. It's never happened, but it's but I do. It's just a weird. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I think that's guilty. Like singers just were like trying to get reassurance, you know. But you mentioned something earlier that is so important. You were talking about people doing a substance before they go on stage and then becoming essentially psychologically dependent upon the like association yeah. of that substance. That yeah. happens in singing all the time, not just with that, but with non-substances as well, with like good things, if you will. And I try so hard in my lessons yeah. and stuff to get people not to have a psychological attachment to anything with their singing. So like the classical singers are the worst. They'll be like, 
like, it needs to be exactly 20% humidity and you can't have the air conditioning on and and all this absurd stuff. And I'm like, well, listen, there are so many factors. You can't possibly control them all. And I always try to tell them, control your individual thing. You can moisturize with this thing or that thing. But like, If you have a dependency, even on like a device, like I need my straw to do the warm up or whatever, you you will psych yourself out. So I try to, even with non-substances, that happens a lot. Yeah, I I believe it. I mean, I really do. I feel like, especially like, oh, I've got to have my warm cup of tea that's exactly 22 degrees Celsius. And it has to have a slice of lemon with a jar of honey. And, you know, like, and that's all fine. You know, obviously I use my own you know, things like if I'm on tour and my voice is stressed, you know, I like some tea with some lemon and some honey, obviously, but it's not something where I'm, it's like my crutch. That's yeah. So very different though than like a psychological, like I have to have it. And if I don't have it, if you believe, if you don't have something, you'll do bad. Uh, you will, you know, there are moments when, you know, I, I, I was like, I don't have a voice to scream. I didn't feel the grit, you know, I'm like, I think I'm fucked. It turned out the show ended up being okay, and I sounded okay. I watched the videos, and I'm like, oh, damn, I actually didn't sound too bad. you know. But I guess a lot of that stemmed from when you actually are in a band, You know what they didn't tell me growing up is get ready to not sleep, get ready to have shitty flights, get ready to just like have the most miserable life you could possibly have sometimes when you're traveling. One of the recent ones we had done was we flew from Russia to Taiwan and we had a connector in Beijing. So we took off out of Russia at two in the afternoon and it's only, I think, an eight hour flight to Beijing or something like that or a six hour flight. And so we land and it's still daytime and then no one slept because it's two in the friggin' afternoon when you took off. No one's tired, you know, and then so you land in Taiwan. I think Taiwan was just like another like four hour flight or something. It wasn't long. It wasn't enough time to sleep. And we all arrived in Taiwan to play and nobody had slept and everybody was miserable. And I feel like I had one of the worst vocal performances of that entire tour in that particular scenario. Like we got to the venue. We all literally laid out in like separate areas. Like I laid out on the floor, had a backpack and I just fell asleep for like two hours. It was it was brutal on the floor. You know, like even the backstage room was like, well, there's not really sleep back here so (laughs) yeah touring is in and of itself just brutal like even if you're completely sober like look at what you're describing i mean it really is like you're you're not in any sort of like ideal environment even if you have a nice bus i mean you're still always feeling the jing 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 of the road every (laughs) every night you know no i mean and you know the the other thing that really kind of fucks up a vocal health is the air conditioning on the bus. You know, I find that that is something that is something that needs to be spoken about more that sometimes that's just brutal cold air night after night after night. Just, it just dries you up. Your throat is just completely just, you know, thrashed and it's hard to uh, recover from that. Doing the bus stuff is easier, obviously, because you have your own space, but it's when you do the stuff that's everything's flying and you know, like you're literally flying every night. Like, okay, we play a show, got to head to the hotel got to be up at three in the morning Well, we got to the hotel at midnight like i'm not gonna be sleeping the night lobby call is 3 30 the flight is at seven like 
Yeah. I mean, it's rough and it's like it's hard enough to maintain, you know, being a singer is like the least fun job. I always tell everybody it's like not the job where you can party like, again, not if you want to be good at it, basically, you know, and then on top of it, you have all these other uh, regular unfun tour things that all the band members are going to deal with, you know, so it's just like, man, it just it is really rough. And so if you're already I think if you have like a substance issue or an unhealthy lifestyle, I mean, you're just compounding that obviously like you're just gonna make it no i agree and it's not that you can't live a lifestyle of having a substance abuse problem or whatever it is it's just you're not gonna be the best of your ability yeah it will always cost you a little bit yeah it will there's always some yeah always i i agree 100 what is your listening environment like live do you use in-ears is it is anything gonna be different from doth before to doth now are you a floor monitor guy you know i'm a floor monitor guy i don't like the feeling of being in my ears like that Uh, i mean everyone has their preference but i don't know like i need the crowd in it i need i just need more you know like i need i don't know i lose the edge i lose my my intensity like i lose the feeling of the crowd being there i lose the I don't know. There's just so much that I feel like I lose when, when I'm in my in-ears. And, you know, and I think that that's fine. You know, like I, I can use in-ears without a problem, but I prefer to, you know, have it come through a monitor. Yeah. I mean, every singer is different and I get totally different answers depending on the person, you know, because your listening environment is just unique to you and you have to have that fuel live. There's not really anything you can do. There's no like fake adrenaline, right? Like you have to bring it live. And if that is like dissolving the crowd and some of the energy for you, that's not going to deliver the best performance. So if you connect more without them, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's not that I'm like super judgy on in-ears, but it's like going on stage and eating a Xanax almost, you know, like I know plenty of vocalists who do that and have done that. And I've never understood that. I think you're supposed to have anxiety. That's like the whole point of it. I was going to say, that seems really weird. Like it's counterproductive, but it's also the same with the ears. It's like you feed off of the crowd. Um, and I guess it really depends on the style of music. If you do have singing stuff, you should have in ears no matter what. Um, but if you're just doing a death metal band, I mean, I understand protecting your hearing for sure. But I think most of the times these days, your stage sound is so quiet just because of the technology. So you should be okay. It's just really the drums you got to be careful for. You know, there's some ear plugs too that don't really muffle things, but that just reduce the dBs. So and I have those, yeah. I have some like custom ones, and they drop them like I have two separate inserts, like a 15 dB, and then I have the one for singing, which is like a 9 dB. So it's barely anything, but it just cuts all of that high end crap out. Um, and then if you keep just wear them long enough, it's fine. You get used to it, uh, and you don't lose the edge of the crowd. I mean, obviously, people put mics out into the crowd so that they can have that in their ears, but. It's, it's like going to a concert and listening to the concert through headphones versus like actually just experiencing it. You know, obviously, I went to Meshuggah last night and it was loud. And normally, I always have my in ear, my uh, really nice earplugs, and I forgot them. But something is also to be said about the feeling that I felt. Yeah, damaging yeah. my hearing. <laughs> so sometimes you just gotta sacrifice it, you know. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I go, I go both ways. I've tried them. I had them for a while, uh, and I find sometimes they become more of a nuisance unless you have a crew that takes care of everything. If you do, then fine. Yeah, you may as well. I mean, you that guy will dial it in. He'll get the crowd noise in. He'll have all your, you know, everything set perfectly for you, you know, and even help you put the body pack on and tape on in-ears. But if you're just trying to do these DIY shows and you've got in-ears, sometimes it's, it's 
stuff because you're your own you know you're your own engineer and mixer and you know it's like you're trying to be like hey can you can we set this up i need to have specific things and here's my monitor thing oh yeah and then sometimes local venue guys if you all have in airs they looks at you like he's gonna have a heart attack or something you know unless you have your own like x32 or something where you're mixing it you know i've gotten like mixed yeah. reactions <laughs> depending on who it is and where and their level of experience you know but yeah sometimes you get the panicked face but you guys are on a level of that uh, at least with doth that if you did want to use them, you'd probably have good situations set up for you. But yeah, no, I'd have somebody there who was, you know, who would be, you know, who would take care of it and and whatnot. Yeah, Doth is releasing singles, and what's next? So the album's going to be out in 2023 sometime. I know we kind of had this thing happen where we wanted to do singles and do a DIY and just do like a distro deal somewhere and you know, kind of make it happen. But we started kind of pushing the songs out there and we ended up getting into like this three-way bid for a label trying to figure out who wants, you know, a piece of it. And, you know, all the major labels that would be looking for a metal act at this point uh, all kind of have their toe in the water and are interested. It really just depends on the type of budget we would get because, you know, these songs weren't necessarily cheap to make. And if they do require us to make an album, we can't cut any corners. You like, you know, not to pick a band out, so I won't say the name, but I was listening to a, an album just a few weeks back. It's one specific black metal, death metal band. They're an older band, older, older band. The song would come on. You're like, yeah, this is a good song. And then the next song would come on and the volume in the same album was like 4 dB higher than the Whoa. rest of, you know, the the other, like three songs to be one level and then four songs to be a completely different level. And that's what we want to avoid. And I think that's kind of, probably a similar situation where you make three songs you try to shop to a label they say hey why don't you make an album you cut corners you go to a different place it's recorded by somebody differently and now the songs aren't exactly the same and they're not mixed the same they're not mastered the same volumes and intensities are different and we definitely wouldn't want to encounter that and the quality of these songs is so top tier that it's like anything less is what's the point Honestly, there really is no point just to take a, a shitty deal or something, you know, like just to make a couple of extra songs. Yeah. So I think what will end up happening is we will wait it out a little longer. We'll see if we do get an acceptable or, a, you know, semi-decent offer that allows us to make more songs with the same exact crew that we had. Uh, if not, then we'll just release these individually. I think we'll release one every six weeks or something. And then we'll go from there. And honestly, I, either one is OK with me. I just wanted to get out. And I think people will be impressed when they hear what they hear, you know, especially, you know, losing a lot of members. You know, I feel like we were able to recreate the sound indefinitely now. No, it's sounding phenomenal and um, it's really outstanding. And I think, yeah, once you've gone, there's just a thing about quality. It's like once you've gone to a certain level, you cannot go back. There's no going backwards. Like, but as you mentioned, like you could keep the same level of quality, but if you have a completely different mixing engineer and a completely different process, it could sound totally different. Yeah. I mean, even like if I did vocals, I have to go back to Andrew Wade. I can't go somewhere else if you want this to be on the same album i can't yes. like have three songs with this guy three songs with this guy it's like not even the same vocal chain it's not even the same microphone i mean there's just so many factors especially with vocals drums you know what you know not as important you know you can pretty much make anything sound like anything but guitars 
also are kind of like vocals. It depends on what type of plugins that the producer had today, you know, what type of amp modeling they had, or even their preference for how much they layer it, or how many times have you tracked something, or yeah. So I think we'll see. Uh, maybe by the time this comes out, we'll know if we jumped on a label or we decided to self-release. Either way, I'm totally happy with it. I don't want to sign a, a shitty deal. Is I think the most important because you know I've definitely been parts of shitty deals before and it's not worth it just to do it not at all i mean there's that whole factor that it is validating but i think if anything it's validating that we have multiple labels kind of fighting head to toe to kind of see who's going to give the better deal and i think that's validation enough at this point like it's been 12 years since we've done anything you know who would have thought that what we would have made has been the best thing we've ever made and honestly vocally i hate my voice i don't know why I have this really weird issue where I think I'm always trying to do the next best thing with my voice. When I record it, I love it. I absolutely love it. Everything I've done, I record, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. I sound, I sound very good. That's good. Let's bounce. Let's, let's go with it. A couple of years go by, I'm like, oh, I cannot stand it. Yes. And then it's like, yeah, we moved to, you know, it's insane. And I'm just like, oh, God, I hate the way I sound on every track. And then, you know, we go back to Doth and it's like, oh. I sound like a kid. Do you think like you'll be happy because this one is really great, and you're saying you don't you don't think nope. you'll be you, not even nope. this one. Two it. years from now, I'll talk to you, and you'll <laughs> yes. be like, I hate it. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I spoke to AL. I was like, I, when we originally decided we we're going to do this again. I was like, I just want to have my vocals sound the best they've ever sounded. I'm just always never happy with what I do. I guess I just I guess that's where my my mom mindset is always at i have been very happy and i really like the way it sounds but i listen to it so much i get to the point like i always say like if you're a vocalist and i'm i'm kidding everyone who's gonna like have a thing i would say like if you like your own vocals maybe maybe you're a narcissist or (laughs) a sociopath you know no of course but i do like my vocals and i do listen to myself more than i listen to anything else like people say what do you listen to and it's like basically myself because i'm always trying to improve I'm always working on something. There's always something I'm working on. Like literally right now, I'm working on a complete second album for Vented. I have like eight songs done. And then I'm supposed to go and record the second Sinsanum album in February. So it's like there's always myself to be listening to the song. Like, do I like this part? Do I like what I did with that vocal section or whatnot? But as far as the process, the way that it sounded initially, this is the happiest I've ever been with my vocals. But of course, I've gotten to that point now where it's been, you know, two months since I finished and I'm just like, oh, I fucking hate this. I, I don't know what it is. I mean, this is great, though. That's a great point to be at when you actually feel pretty happy with your vocals. It's very, very hard and a really long process for vocalists to like themselves you know because there are no matter how many styles you do like there's there's physics at play and your sinuses are shaped a certain way your chest cavity your larynx like so you'll your fry is always gonna be like you're a fry even though you expand and do all these things with it or whatever it's still still you there's still like limits to timbre uh this is worse in clean singing of course (laughs) but But yeah, yeah, yeah. to come around and actually have like true acceptance of your voice is is really tough. It's a really long journey for a lot of people. Some people never really get there, you know, but just when you're like, oh, this is the happiest so far. That's actually really good. (laughs) Well, I've you know, I've always been happy with the vocals every single time I've done it. The whole reason I ever wanted to be in a band was because I just wanted to sound good on a recording. I wanted to have a recording of myself where I sounded amazing. And that was my always my goal. And we went to Sukoff. 
we did the concealers. That was my first real entry into an actual like budget and major label and producers. And I love the way it sounds for years. I'm like, man, this is great. Then the next thing comes along. You're like, wow, I've, I've changed and my voice changed. And now I can't stand that. I sounded like a child there. And then it's the same. It's like, I don't know. Sometimes I find that I'll do the recording and I'm happy with it then. And then whatever happens in the mixing mastering stage, it loses something because they take something out or they only use this voice or they put an EQ on it. But, you know, people love it. And I guess that's where I have to kind of find love in it myself is, you know, seeing other people be like, oh, this sounds good. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I guess it kind of does. But yesterday I was listening to a song with my friend, one of these new dot songs. And he, I, there's a screaming part. And he's like, that sounds like it hurt. I'm like, it didn't actually. But now I'm subconscious about that or self-conscious about that part. No, 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 no. <laughs> the sounding like it hurt is good. That is, no, that's what made me want to scream. Like when I heard at the gates for the first time and I was like, that's pain, man. You know, like, so I think that's good. I think if you can create pain audibly without actually being in pain, that's what we're doing, right? That's our art. So I think that's great. Well, I wanted to, we're getting to the end here and I, I just wanted to see um, where can people follow you? You're in so many projects and not just Doth. Obviously Doth's the big deal at the moment. Yeah, Doth is a big deal at the moment, yeah. But where can people follow you as a vocalist? And if they just want to like keep up with what you're doing, check out your, you do like car screams and stuff too, um, your posts. <laughs> I have done some car screams. I had to pull them because I actually was in a small little fender <gasps> bender and the woman decided to like almost sue me for it, even though it was like less than a 20 mile an hour wreck. And I kind of pulled those just for the moment because I didn't want that to be an issue. But turns out everything's OK and insurance took care of everything. And that I wasn't doing a car scream. I literally sit still sometimes. I'll like drive around my parking lot and, I, you know, I don't I'm never on like the road road. So, I, but you know, so you're like 80 miles an hour. Yeah, no, like screams. on the highway, like fuck. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even looking at the. <laughs> so the Instagram where you don't have car screams anymore. What is it? Um, well, I'll be on YouTube, and you know, I'm also on Instagram. That's where I do a lot of my stuff. Um, you know, it's always the same, the same moniker. You know, just Sean Z screams. You know, I basically use that across all social media. YouTube, I randomly am. Uh, which I don't know why I've kept it this long, but Candiria 7181. I, you know, I've had that friggin' YouTube channel for so many years. You could go in there and, and apply for a different URL, I think. I know. I, I tried to, to do it, but I think whatever I was doing, how I was trying to change it, it wanted money. And I'm like, ah, not the moment. So I just, I kind of backed out. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically, Chauncey screams across, you know, all the things. And Instagram is where I pretty much predominantly post most of my stuff. And all the car videos will be on there. And, I did start a TikTok where it's Sean Z screams, but again, I had to pull everything, um, but they should be back up within the next week uh, or two at most. I just needed this to kind of settle down so that it doesn't, you know, it's not like, oh, well, we looked at your Instagram page and... Uh, and you scream in the car. <laughs> so now we understand what happened. And then, uh, <laughs> no. Right. You're like, but that day I wasn't. <laughs> so. No, I seriously, no, I don't. And I don't do that shit while I drive. It's just not, I'm not like out on the road. I mean. Right. But they have, right. I see what you're saying though. Like it, it's an impression that you'd be giving them and yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then now they have, they can ask for more money or something stupid, but. <laughs> oh, absolutely. This is. It was just super dumb i like looked away for a second i was driving actually listening to music you know how you do you know and you're like yeah i'm driving you're like man it's a nice day you know and i guess the crosswalk had lit up and the woman slammed on her brakes it could happen um, to anybody 
slammed on mine. Yeah, and it was. It happens to the best of us. Those little like fender bendery things, you know. Yeah, honestly, I was listening to that new doc. It's just so just, distracting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it really is tremendous. What you guys have done is amazing. Your lineup is killer. Congratulations on such a great return to the scene. It's so awesome. It's been so great talking to you, and um, I can't wait to catch you guys out uh, on the road. Yeah, it's been great. It was a pleasure. That wraps up this episode of the Voice Hacks podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. 